expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Welcome to episode 17 of Down and Nerdy, where we are always very careful not to cross the streams. Yes, yes, very, very... Although it's kind of fun, though, in a sense. Well, you never know. You never know. I mean, th- these things can happen from time to time. You know, you find yourself drunk in a hockey game, and you just, whoops, hey, there you go, and it's fun. <laughs> I think you get punched out at a hockey game if that happens. No, you haven't been to the hockey games I've been to. When I was in Syracuse, I was in Syracuse, watched a lot of crunch games. You, our fans were hilarious. It was, oh, it was I fantastic. Imagine. I can imagine. I'm James Witham alongside... The Marvelous One on Wonder, Nick Battaglia. And it's just another one of those weekends where we are now in summer officially. Officially. Even though the calendar says it's officially, it's bullshit. Because it's like, in Virginia where it's like it's been 95 the past two yep. weeks straight. Yep. And, it, it, oh God, it's, you just, summer's here, great, awesome, Let's go to the beach. Although, however, this also means I live in Virginia. Um, we're gonna. I smell something, and that smell is tourists. Yeah, and I'm not a beach guy, though. I've never been a beach guy. I think it's because I've lived here for so long. Yeah. That it kind of the novelty wore off. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I think that going to the beach in general, it's just like you're baking yourself for well, X amount of time. No, but here, you know, here we have two beaches. We have you know the main beach, the oceanfront, which I hate. That's that's tourist city. Um, and traffic's always sucks around this time. Also, there's nowhere to park, and even if you have a pass, they'll oh, still tow you. parking is terrible. No, even if you have a pass, dude, they'll still tow you, because the tow truck drivers are lazy. Believe me, I've been there, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm like, or you just drive to Sandbridge, and it's private, and you can just chill there, and you don't have to worry about parking or anything. What we're trying to do is help you if you're planning a trip to Virginia Beach, if you're not from here. We're trying to help you and tell you where to go. Instead yeah, of we're actually sponsored store. by AAA, so... <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. I wish. <laughs> that would be some good cash right there. <laughs> but, I mean, this weekend, I kind of, you know, I kind of hung out. It was one of those crash-type yeah. weekends for me, but I did watch Dominion. Which okay. we posted the trailer for that on uh, on Facebook page, facebook.com slash down and nerdy before. And of course, it's based on Legion, the movie Legion, mm-hmm. with uh, all these different types of angels. You know, you've got kind of, uh, to, to kind of dumb it down, you know, like the evil angels. And then you've got the good angels that are on the side of humanity and the dark angels that steal our bodies and, right. and stuff like that. It was a very interesting show, actually. I'll definitely check it out. Because for me, I don't know about you, but for sci-fi shows, I'm sure you've seen some of them on Netflix and yeah. stuff. It's very hit or miss for me, and yeah. most mostly miss. I, I I see the shows on Sci-Fi, and I love the fact that they're trying. <laughs> but I see the shows on Sci-Fi, I'm like, oh, it looks really interesting. And then I watch the first episode, and I'm like, what the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> but Dominion, for the first time in a while, uh, other than Heroes of Cosplay, of course, uh, Dominion's one of those shows I'll definitely keep watching and I'll, I'll talk more about it on, on the Facebook page and, and throughout the show as we go on but I think it's it's almost like an angel version of Walking Dead okay but but better though but, right? but better yeah because yeah. it's not zombies because I hate zombies well, I was like, but hopefully they'll have continu- like continuity within the writing and they'll have like a new showrunner every season right exactly you, know? you realize we're going to get killed for saying that Demi- I really don't that, that care. Walking Dead is no good. I don't care because I don't care either. It's 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 not good. It's really not. Like people, I get that it's popular. I think but people are. I think the reason why 
and I'm not saying it's for everybody, but I know for a, a good amount of people, people like it only because it's like the hot new thing to well, like. Well, that goes for how much stuff in today's world. Well, and plus they're like, yeah. oh, we're going to have like 20 seasons. Like, they already got seasons for like like five, the next five seasons planned out. It's just like, eh. So what you're saying is it's like the Harry Potter effect, where once the movies started coming yep. out, everybody and oh, their yeah. brother jumped nobody on board. Nobody cared about Walking Dead when it was, I don't care what you say, nobody cared about Walking Dead when it was a comic book series. No. And, and, and look how well it's selling now. Yeah. It's ruling the graphic novel, uh, um, the graphic novel sales right By now. By the way, if, so. you're, if, you're, if you're somebody who hates, who says, oh, Walking amazing, I, I, I challenge you to go on YouTube and look up Honest Trailers um, Walking Dead review because it's exactly every reason why you should dislike Walking to Dead. To me, it's just the whole zombie thing. Whether it's Walking it's, it's Dead. It's exhausted. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. But I've never been a big zombie guy. Every now and then I'll, I'll see something and go, oh, that's pretty good. But I tend to not give it a chance because I just don't I, – I hate the whole thing. I hate it. But, I mean, a show you – know, you mentioned you got into it. A show I got into over the weekend, it was, again, for me, it was one of those – Work very very hard, and, oh, yeah. and but when you get home, you're just like I want to relax, don't want to go nowhere, don't want to spend any money. Not that I have money to spend, well, but I mean, <laughs> you know. But I just literally lay on my couch, and somebody had mentioned I should start watching Hemlock Grove, mm-hmm. and at first I was like, well, uh, I'm like, ah. Uh, I'm getting a very Twilight... Whenever things with werewolves happening, I get a very Twilight vibe. See, I knew it wasn't that, so I thought it was funny. I should have... Well, I should have known because Eli Ross' name is attached to it. So, okay, it's definitely not going to be that way. And when it picks off in the first... Ten minutes with the, with the starts off pretty much with the premise was this girl being murdered by what's being called an animal attack and stuff like that. Mm. And, you know, these gypsies come to town and one has the power to turn into a werewolf. Um... It's it's like it's like a wow. It's kind of a very very wow effect, and um, you don't see the werewolf until uh, episode two, I believe, or episode three, which is the transformation thing, which was like the first thing that Hemlock Grove released when it was about to be um, revealed on Netflix. Right, it's like the first thing, like hey, in the transformation scene, even though it's CGI. And I'm so, I'm a big practical effects guy, especially when you have like American Werewolf in London, right? Um, and the Howling and stuff like that. And they're like some of the greatest transformations ever from practical effects. CG wise, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, it starts off pretty much with like guy spits up blood, and then he just gouges his eyes out, and behind it is like another set of eyes. Wow! And it's it's amazing. Like wow, the whole, I mean, it's CG. Cool. So I mean, you see, like you know, well, I mean, the, you kind of have to now. Though. Well, I even well, I even told the person that I, said, I go, I I go, you know. It, with the budget, because it's a Netflix show, right. I, I wish it, they would look more of like the Wolfman-esque kind of thing and not like Twilight where they look like just a regular wolf. Right. Um, you know, but I said maybe just because of, of money that they couldn't well, do it. Well, and they're in their second season now, and I think that as it becomes popular, I think that, you know, that's when your budget starts to stretch yeah. a little farther. And I think that that's what we're seeing with Netflix with the Daredevil series because you're they're working with Marvel, so I'm sure Marvel's getting their hand in there and helping out. That's why they're able to get Rosario Dawson. Yeah. That's why they're able to get Vincent D'Onofrio and, and stuff and, like and that. And the cast is great. I mean, a lot of new coming faces, but, I mean, one face that stands out the most is Femke Jansen. And, yeah. And, my yeah. God, um, I, they haven't really alluded to what her and her son can do, but it's kind of in a sense of, like, sorcery, witchcraft, set, slash she's kind of a temptress. Interesting. Which is pretty very, which is very very interesting, um, and it, she's just like so hot. <laughs> well, that doesn't hurt either. Um, but no, it's I've only like a couple episodes in. I haven't really had a chance. I'm thinking later tonight I'm gonna watch some more, a couple more episodes. Mm-hmm. And the first season's on Netflix. 
Um, and uh, like I said, it's it's uh, it's it's I'm hooked on it. It's very good because it's very mature. Um, it doesn't have any Twilight element to it at right. all, and it's just like different people. So it's kind of like bringing in, it's it's. it's Vampire, it's like I never seen really seen Vampire Diaries at all, but it's like you took that and Twilight and matured it and kind of made it back to the roots, so kind of kind of the whole horror roots in a sense. Okay, so you're so it's not going like a True Blood type angle, kind of, but not really because there's not really much of a love story in okay. this one so far, okay. which is great. But I mean, over because more it's more about these two guys and how like the one guy knows like, hey, yeah, you're a werewolf and kind of thing, and it's just kind of like. Later, I think as the season progresses, they're gonna find out like how, yeah, they needed to like protect each other in a sense. Right, and not to not to mention in True Blood, they spent half the episodes naked anyway. So yeah, well, they're all in, in the transformation scene. There is there is male nudity. Well, so. I mean, you know, it's a transformation scene. Yeah, it's like the Hulk. I mean, the only thing that survives is the tattered jeans that uh, go about three quarters of the way up his thigh. So I mean, I mean, I mean, the transformation scene. You know, it's just like it, it his skin shreds. Like it's like. All he has no skin on him, and he shakes. He's shaking off. He's like blood going up yeah. when he shakes and shakes himself off, and it's just like and he even eats the flesh that's on wow. the ground too. Wow! So it's like full beast form, no no male or, or human psyche at so all. So that's funny. It's it's one of those things where that's if you're gonna do that kind of a show, that's like the one thing you want to do right. And it seems like that's what and, they really focused on. And the fact that Eli Roth is executive producer. I mean, there's some of his things that are hit and miss, but this one I think is something that he really, really hit on. And I think that you could say that about almost everybody in the biz, though, you know? Yeah. Everybody's had their hit or misses, and I think we'll get into more of those kinds of directors when we get into nerd news a little bit later on, uh, talking about stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it sounds like we've almost kind of like a what we're watching. And we actually yeah. talked about that um, before we started the podcast. We said, you know what? One week when there's not, you know, when there's no good trailers, we've got nothing to review. Let's just do a what we're watching because yeah. there's so much good stuff out there, and, and <laughs> nerd culture has expanded into so many different realms of, of TV. Yeah, and even you know some movies or maybe I guess miniseries. I guess for some yeah. certain things. So there's just so much going on. I think we're going to start doing that not every week, but every so often. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I finished Orange Is the New Black season two, which was phenomenal. Came for season three. It's like, give me season three right now. <laughs> but coming up next, it's what we're reading. And we got a couple of interesting uh, comics we chose this mm-hmm. week. Um, and you won't want to miss it, so stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up right after this. Well, once summer hits, we always get these big arcs, all kinds of great stories that we're going to get throughout the summertime. But, Nick, you actually picked something that's from uh, one of our guys, one of our buddies. There. Yeah, our buddy Drew Moss. I um, went to pick up my poll the other day and... Uh, the crow pestilence was sitting there. Why not? I've been meaning to get into it for a long time. I've seen. I've I've looked at the art. Pretty much, what's been able to just with money and time and everything like that. I'm like ah, I can't yet. But I picked up number one on the crow pestilence and. Yes! <laughs> now, we should point out that this series is not new, necessarily. This started, I think it was four months ago, yeah. that, that, that it actually began. So if you want to start from issue one, go to your local shops and tell them that you're looking for it. Hopefully, they have it on hand. And if not, track it down. And you mentioned it's one of our guys, our buddy Drew Moss. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did the art for it. The cover art, I swear to God, amazing, because it felt like a rough chalk sketch. Mm-hmm. And it really did. It, it, it really, really did. did. But it, it looked amazing. And I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's because Drew's a friend of ours. He's a friend of the show. But this this 
it's amazing because the art, his art, I mean, you mentioned it last night, James, his art was totally, we were talking, his art is like, it's just, it's, it's different. It's unconventional. It's unconventional, and I, and I mean way. that in a good way. Yeah. I, I just think it's, and the way, and the reason I say that, and Drew, Drew, you're listening, I'm going to explain exactly what I'm talking about. You could pick up a comic book today from any, but not necessarily just the big two, but anybody, and you say, oh, well, that art's comparable to that art and that art. And, and some, in some instances, it could kind of run together. But when I see Drew's art, and not just in The Crow, but other stuff that he's done yeah. uh, for commissions, I'm like, I, it's so different from what you'd normally see, but at the same time, it's so cool the way he brought this character to life, especially in the Crow Pestilence. And I love the fact that you're doing cover art and the actual art inside the issue. Talk about <clears throat> continuity. I love that. Yeah, and you know, the colorist obviously art and the, is written by Frank Bill. And the plot, you know, it's 20 pages on the first issue and it takes place in Juarez. And pretty much this whole organized crime syndicate called the Saint Death Cult. Which, and they're known for like paying off boxers take dives, um, prostitution, like we'll do is they'll bring women um, and from like other countries and say, okay, in order to stay in America, you need to not only waitress at the restaurants we own, but you need to be prostitutes to the men who buy the, a lot of drugs from us. So they're serving in more ways than one. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but also, it's like, if they can't pay up, then they can be drug mules. My favorite, most intense line is in the beginning of the comic book. And it's pretty much this guy named Raw Dog has a gun to one of these prostitutes' heads, and he's threatening to kill her. Um, and he says, "Want to hear a name, bitch? Bite down, so I can remember why I shouldn't waste you and your fuck trophy, which means her son." Ugh. And I'm just like, "Holy shit!" I remember when you showed me that panel. I'm like, "Are you kidding me right now? Wow!" I'm like, "I'm like, wow! Like, like that's just holy shit because it's." It just like it gets you right there, like wow. Because oh, not only is it like you know, okay, we're starting slow. No, it, it kicks you right there. Like this is where definitely we're starting yeah. off right here. This woman's life's in danger, and she's pleading, and he's got the bullet, like the gun to her head, mm-hmm. and um, the plot revolves around Salvador. Now he's a former boxer who refused to take a dive from the SDC. He took their money; it was like hundred grand, um, and he won the fight. He should have lost. And so he wants revenge after him and his wife and his child are murdered. Right. Um, and so it's kind of like back going back to the original canon of the Crow, where you know his w- girlfriend gets murdered. Right. He wants kind of revenge and stuff like that. Winking a nod, kind of thing. Winking yeah. a nod. Um, and so he comes back, and I mean he was just tortured. They had the panels like how he died and everything. He was tortured um, by the head of the SDC and, and Raw Dog and stuff like that. His, I mean his wife and child were murdered in front of him, and. The one thing I loved about this is reading the story. It brought me back to Quentin Tarantino, because this feels like Tarantino served as sort of um, inspiration for right. it. Because there's a scene when it's the way it's written, and everything like that, with with Pulp Fiction. Because you have the boxer taking the dive, Bruce Willis's character right. refusing to take the dive, and now his parents on the run, mm-hmm. um, and from ourselves, Wallace. And that's pretty much what it was with with uh, Salvador, and so it's okay. He, there's there's Pulp Fiction right there. Yep. Then there's a scene where Raw Dog cuts off Salvador's ear, and then there's a part where Salvador does returns the favor punch and cuts off Raw Dog's ear and does all "Can you hear me now?" thing. Mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs. Yep. Mr. Blonde. Yep. Cutting off the guy's ear. Um, so I'm like, 
Tarantino served as somewhat of an inspiration for us, and it's a really great book. Like I said, the art drew fantastic job, buddy, because, uh, you know, like I said, the fact, you said last night, James, the fact that this came out a few months ago, and people, and I, when I went, it was the last copy, too. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the last copy there, and, um, you know, people are still buying it. That shows, and when somebody just says, okay, I'll get to it later, and then when you get to it, and like, it just shows how good of a comic book it is. Yeah, and I mean, you, you know money's tight for everybody, so sometimes you have to kind of wait. Like, I, I will be picking it up at some point as well, but I kind of decided, okay, the trade's going to come out at some point, probably right. in the next couple of months with all four issues. So I'm like, okay, I'll wait for the trade to come out, and I'll just do it that way. That way, because you, when you were reading it, you said, you said, because I was sitting there when you were reading it, you said, I want issue two right now. Yes. <laughs> See, I don't want that to happen to me. I want to be able to read the whole run right at the same time, because I don't want to read issue one and say, oh, I need issue two now kind of thing. And the reason, well, the re- you said it, because like, the reason why I want to buy it, like, Issue one, issue two, issue three, issue four, so trade because I want that damn cover art. Well, that, well yeah, there's that. <laughs> because I want the cover art. There's that, there's that too. Well, hopefully they'll have like a like a cover art panel or something where they show all the covers. That would be on amazing. There. But that I, would be very. But cool. again, go pick it up. Go put it in your poll. Drew, great job, man! I can't wait to finish it. Um, and we'll probably see him. You think we'll see him at Comic Con, Tidewater Con? Oh, definitely. I can't imagine that he wouldn't be a Tidewater Con. We've we got to get him on the show anyway to talk about. Well, obviously he's got to he's going to have something else going yeah. on. He's got to have a new project well, I remember, coming out. Remember when we went to the first Tidewater Con? He was the first guy we met. Yep. yep. And that's how our friendship started. Yep. And he started just talking about working independent compared to with the big two and stuff like that, and what it allows and what and stuff like that. And he was very open. Yeah. With, he kind of went behind the scenes with us and. Said, Said, you know, this is why I love working for IDW because the door's always open, kind of thing. Yeah. He said, I can go into them with this and into them with that, and they're not necessarily going to accept every idea you have, but they'll listen to you, they'll let you pitch it, and they kind of let you do your the, own thing. The word was, he said, was freedom. You have the yep. freedom to draw and do kind of what you want. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's the thing. And we, so we, we talked to him there, first guy we met there, awesome dude. You know, just great artwork. And, yeah, I mean, we want to get him on. We want to get our buddy Mark Deering on, our buddy yep. Matt Slay. Yep. You know, so, I mean, you know, thanks, guys, for being great friends and for giving us great, great artwork. And speaking of great stuff, or at least what I thought would be great stuff, <laughs> oh, uh, no. what I decided to pick up was uh, Batman and Ra's al Ghul, number 32, because it was the conclusion for the uh, Hunt for Robin arc. So right. I want to be like, okay, so what's going to happen? Is it going to be Damien? Is it going to be somebody else? And it's uh, written by Peter J. Thomasy and uh, pencils by Patrick Gleason and uh, inks by Mick, uh, by Mick Gray. And I actually decided to get the uh, DC Bombshell variant cover by D.G. Jones and Alex Sinclair because they're very cool covers. Oh, yeah. I have the green – I have the Lantern Corps bombshell cover, and it was pretty It was pretty awesome. They're but, very neat. It's like 50s-style uh, oh, yeah. old posters of the of the feminist movement kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, this one has a uh, – a, um, like a, a sword wielding temptress yeah. on the cover, and it's for Lazarus Cream, Cream. Uh, rejuvenating styles. It was just very neat, but uh, it actually starts out in a standoff between Raish and Batman. Batman's brought in a, kind of an army with him. Frankenstein's going to help him. He brought some some guys right. with him to try and go get Damien and Tali's bodies away from Raish. But Raish, of course, has his league with him and the ninjas are in there so he's like ah I see that we're at a standoff and they're at this Lazarus pit that 
Raish says has distinctive gifts and distinctive rules. And basically it's in the bowels of a place called Nisapur, which was actually covered up by uh, a place called Nandaparabat, which was part of the Forever Evil arc, and it's no longer there. So that kind of uncovered this uh, Lazarus pit that's there that has these special abilities. And uh, the place where this, this was, uh, Frankenstein I kind of described as a place that it was a dark city with black magic meant to open portals to hell. <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty serious stuff. So uh, it's kind of like the first few pages are almost like a who's going to make the first move kind of thing. And they're describing this Lazarus pit and how you have to keep a body in it for 24 hours and it doesn't matter how long the body's been dead, it can come back to life. And he's stirring it with this special crystal that Talia had found that has this unspeakable power. So he's stirring it and in the pit also erases all your memory. Mm. So you have no memory of what it was like before you so were alive. So it'd be kind of like Tim Drake when he had the bad experience with Lazarus Pit. That's yeah, and, that, and they with. mentioned that in this issue. They're like, oh, remember the last time you tried to use a different Lazarus Pit? How'd that work out for you? Yeah. Batman kind of says that to Raish. And Raish admits, yeah, I made a mistake with that, but I'm not going to make a mistake again. And this would this is also the crystal, by the way, that was used to accelerate... Damien's growth in the first place. Right. So there's already some sort of connection to that family with this crystal. And basically, it, all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And Batman ends up getting Damien's body. I did not... They didn't really allude to Talia, though. I think Talia was still actually in the pit right. when they took off. So Batman gets, gets uh, excuse me, Damien's body... Because Frankenstein helps him escape with it. Now, this is when it gets interesting when they get out of this compound where the pit is. Basically, Raish says that if Batman runs off with Damien, he's going to put everyone he cares about at risk forever. He says Gotham will be at risk. Pennyworth will be at risk. All your Dark Knight cohorts will be at risk forever because that's how long I have. And it's just very intense. And I just the great writing by Peter J. Thomasy for... Rachel Ghoul made this issue, I think, what it was. I think the rest of it was just kind of okay right. as far as the, the writing goes. But the Rachel Ghoul writing was just fantastic. And then the fight breaks out where they're just Batman and Rachel are beating the hell out of each other. At one point, I showed you this where Batman actually takes his thumbs and drives oh, yeah. them through Rachel's eyes. And Batman's actually said at one point that. If he tries to take, if Race tries to take Damien back, that he will kill him and make sure he stays dead. So Batman's willing to break his oath, kind of, kind of break his pattern to save his son. But here's where it takes a weird turn. Yeah, where? Well, I remember this because you were reading it and you're like, "What the hell?" So they're in the middle of the battle between Race and Batman. There's this big explosion which seems to come out of nowhere. Okay. So here comes glorious Godfrey of Apocalypse and his army. Right. Saying, greetings, gentlemen. You could call me glorious Godfrey kind of thing. So he breaks up the battle. So, which, which is, which, mind you, the way of this battle, I just looked at some of the art in this and stuff, and the way this battle was going is like, please, God, let this go for like a couple more pages. Exactly. It's like and then, somebody's going to die here. Yeah, and it's just, somebody, somebody just hits the brakes, and it's just like, Oh, really? And you know what? And the the explosion happens. You're expecting it to be anybody else. You're expecting it to be maybe Red Hood or uh, pretty much anybody 
I could you could think of from the Batman universe, but no. Glorious Godfrey, and I'm sure even the most hardened DC fan is sitting there saying, who in the hell is Glorious Godfrey? Well, he worked with Darkseid. Gilbert Godfrey's brother? Well, I, he, a little bit. A little bit. Actually, kind of, almost kind of looked like that a little bit. Wow, I'm just uh, going for that. They reimagined the character, though. This The character looks totally different in the New 52 than he did uh, back when he was first introduced. And he's been around for like 30 years. Oh. In case people didn't know, but it was off and on. He's worked with Darkseid at one point in an arc to try and deprive the world of heroes. Basically, he started a hate campaign. He's a master manipulator. That's his main thing. He's a master manipulator, and he was basically in the arc where he was one of the main arcs he was in. They kept sending down minions to destroy property on Earth to make the people say, well, the heroes are doing more harm than good because look at all the stuff they're bringing down. And then Gilbert, Gilbert Godfrey, the glorious Godfrey, <laughs> actually uh, infiltrates the human society and starts a here, smear campaign against the heroes. Kind of like Trask in Days of Future Past, but without Sentinels kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Where Trask is trying to convince the world that mutants These are, are dangerous. dangerous kind of thing. It was very similar to, similar to that. But because this guy has no real abilities, he has this army with him called the Justifiers. And basically, if you look at anybody who's ever fought with Darkseid in any of the uh, previous stories, it's, it's very similar to that. So picture that kind of an army. But my thing is, the end of this issue had no conclusion whatsoever. It raised more questions than we had going in for a conclusive issue. And I, re- I realize this going into Rise of Robin Omega. I'm not an idiot. I know it's coming. Right. But it's almost like, what the hell just happened and where in the hell are they going with this? That was what. That's what I was left with, and that's not to me the way you want to leave something. No, you don't want to leave it with. Okay, what the hell just happened? Yeah, you don't want that. Like, this is because not only does it do they interrupt this great fight, and it might be like, oh my god, is Batman getting close to actually breaking his mm-hmm. one and only rule, which mm-hmm. is no killing? And if they did, where like he had Rache and he's about to kill him, and then it exploded and he came, that's fine. But not during like this mid battle. Kind of, kind of a thing. It's kind of like if you watch Dragon Ball Z in the middle of being Freeze's ass, Go uh, all of a sudden, like, freaking Piccolo comes out of nowhere and just makes a big blast somewhere. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's almost like right before the fatality in Mortal Kombat. It's like, let's cut away to what happened in the battle earlier or yeah. something like that. You know, It doesn't make any sense. And I realized that maybe they were, they were going for the wild factor there. It's like, oh, well, nobody's going to expect this, so let's do this. No, you can't just do. You can't do wow for the sake of wow. Yeah. You gotta make it makes at least a little sense. Yeah. Now, could they go somewhere with this, and and maybe Dark Side gets tied into this main arc that DC's got coming out right. later on? Because we know Dark Side's gonna remake an appearance here soon in the next major DC arc. It's just gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how Batman and which is what the series is. It's always Batman and somebody different, kind of. Um, I don't know how you would tie that into this because they, that issue is never tied into any main arc really before. So right. why start now? So that's why I just I can't see any I can't see an opening where this would make sense in the grand scheme of so things. So is this a buy? Is it a pass? Is it something that maybe you want to borrow if your friend has it? I I, I don't know what I gained by reading it. Right. I think that that's the problem. I mean, I I know I didn't I I didn't read the previous issues. But I didn't feel like I had to. I think yeah. you could pick this up and and well, the, but it starts the off with main the battle. point. The main point is the battle of him trying to get Damien and Tali's bodies. Right. I mean, you don't need any backstory for that. You know who Raish is. You know who the characters are. 
and you want the battle scene kind of thing. And you did get that. You got the battle, but it's almost like the conclusion... An abrupt conclusion. ...was kind of a what? Yeah. Why? why? See, your your frustration there reminds me of when I read Batman Eternal last night, number 11. And from an art standpoint, the art looked great in Rage vs. Batman. It, it, oh, the, the art was good, yeah, especially the inks by Mick Gray were very good. But, I mean, you look at, like, the other Batman, like Batman Eternal, and, I mean, this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but, dude, why, DC, must you find it reasonable, or, or you should do it by changing every artist for every fucking issue? I don't get that either. It was like, to me, when I was reading uh, some of the Marvel arcs, and you would go from having... Great art in the on in the ongoing series, like Spider Man, for example. Let's let's take Spider Man. You've got good art in the actual issues, and then the annual would come out. Yeah, and you look at the annual and be like, what? What? What just happened? Because the art was terrible. Yeah, in pretty much every annual that Marvel put out, like six months ago or so, the art was god awful. Yeah, like the Deadpool annual I read with him taking over for Spider Man. It was like, eh, it was, the art was okay, it wasn't great. But, I mean, like, this one, it's kind of like, it, 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 the way it looked, I mean, you saw it. Oh, yeah. It looked like, you know, like, 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 like. Let's just say uh, it's an acquired taste. Yeah, I, I just can't think of a way is to phrase very, it. It is very, it's very out there, I think. I mean, and it's like, it was, it was to the point where I'm like, wow, this art is so bad that I want to cancel Batman Eternal because it's like I can't take this new art because it's taking me outside of the story. Like constantly, like when I was reading Batman, I love Batman Eternal, but this issue, I found myself sc- scanning through through pages, not like getting involved right. in reading, but just like okay, done, done, next page, done. The done. writing is good. Yeah. But when you have art like that, it kind of makes you want to scan the pages yes, and not really get into it and read. Because the story's good, and you know it's got to be, because we talked about this a little last week, you know it's got to be a slow build. Yeah. Because it's a weekly. You can't just give stuff away right away. So you realize it's a slow build, but at the same time, I totally get what you're saying, because I was looking at the art, and I'm like, this is a huge turnoff. Yeah. And I said the same thing I was telling you about Constantine. Yeah. Everything with Con- and I love Constantine. And the story is still good, I think, in the single issue Constantine. But the art took a really huge downturn after the Forever Evil arc. And mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. I don't know. But, I mean, and it's like, I even said, like, oh, my God, I'm going to cancel Batman Eternal now. And it's like, we're 11 issues into the New 52 for it. And I'm just like, but then all of a sudden, it, I think this, DC did this because they were trolling her ass. Okay, we're not gonna put some, we're not gonna put some great art because what does it say in the bottom? The next issue twelve, the trial of James Gordon. Yep. And you're like, God damn you, DC! Mm-hmm. Like, I want to quit you, but I can't because I want to find out how this trial goes. And then what did I tell you? I said, let's see who's gonna be doing the art for issue twelve. And then I looked it up, and sure enough, my boy Mikel Jannon yep. from. Justice League Dark yep. is going to bring things back to life in Batman Eternal. And, I mean, you saw, I, just, I looked at some of his art last night, and, and uh, yeah, I'm like, okay, okay, it's, it's winning me back. It's winning me back, but can we never go back to that? I wish, I wouldn't have a, such a big problem with it if, instead of every single issue DC, like you mentioned last night, said, okay, how about, since there's 52 issues, how about, like, okay, every 10 to 12, okay, you this one artist does it. This other 10 to 12, this other artist does it. You know, so on and so forth. Right. Not like every other issue because it's just 
it breaks up the continuity. I understand you want to give certain artists their shot, and who wouldn't want to draw Batman, right? Right. So, I mean, I understand that, but at the same time, it, it, this is a major story, and I don't understand why you'd poke the bear like that. Why would you take that risk? And, I mean, and the, all these artists are talented in their own ways, I'm sure, and all of them have their certain set of fans, but... This is Batman we're talking about. But the thing about the issue number 11, though, was it was centered around mostly Batgirl, and it felt like a totally different comic. Not only that, but it was a total left-hand turn art-wise. It wasn't even like a subtle difference. Like no. some of, Like some of the other issues, it was more of a subtle difference. You yeah. could tell the art wasn't as good. Right. But at least it wasn't a total right-hand turn. This was a total 180 art-wise, and that to me, that was weird to me. That was That's weird, but speaking of weird, we actually have some weird news stories coming up, actually, uh, some cancellations, and some actual inside scoops we have here at Don Nerdy, and nobody else has, so you won't want to miss that nerd news coming up next. Stay tuned, more Don Nerdy coming up. Well, it's that time once again, boys and girls, nerd and nerdettes alike, where we scan around the internet and find what, James? Nerd news! And this is breaking news, James, into the Don Nerdy studio. James, ace with him. What is the breaking news considering Batman Superman? Well, if you were paying attention to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Nerdy, last week, I dropped an exclusive bombshell about Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice where I think I've uncovered the storyline that they're going to be using for the film. And maybe you're familiar with this. There was a run of comics, Man of Steel, back in 1986. It was a six-issue limited series by John Byrne. He did the writing and the penciling, by the way, and Dick Giordano, who did the inks on this. Now, basically, uh, what DC wanted to do with this six-issue arc was they wanted to make changes to Superman after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. So they did stuff like they made him the sole survivor of Krypton. Right. Basically. And they kind of retold the origin story quickly. Now, this is kind of where where the Man of Steel title came from for the original reboot of Superman in the first place. Right. So they're already paying attention to this. Now, what drew me to this in the first place was um, everybody started freaking out when the supposed picture... Uh, came out of Lex Luthor with long hair. Yes, and that's not, but we can say that that's not from Batman vs. Superman. That is not. That's from a movie called American Ultra. If you want to go ahead and look that up, do it. You'll find out that the photo that's been coming out of Jesse Eisenberg is not, not him as Lex Luthor. Yes. But that doesn't mean Lex won't have hair, and I will go on with that now. Because in this ish, in this series, Luthor does have hair. Right. Now, look at all the rumors that we've heard about this movie so far. Of course, it's going to be the first meeting between Batman and Superman. Right. Now, here's the deal. That happens in issue number three of Man of Steel from 1986. It's the first, yeah, it's the first encounter between Batman and Superman. And basically, here's the, here's the premise of it. Superman hears that there's a vigilante in Gotham. So he interrupts Batman when he's searching for a criminal, Magpie. Now, Magpie is basically like a museum curator. She's obsessed with um, having pretty things, mm. with, you know, shiny things kind of thing. So she turns into a criminal and starts stealing stuff, basically. So she's not a major level, huge she, super She's villain. like a tier three Catwoman. Exactly. So it's not a huge, uh, a huge thing, but Batman's, of course, still trying to t- track her down, but... All Superman hears is that there's an, a vigilante in Gotham, so he regards him as an outlaw. 
and he they he goes and basically interrupts him, confronts him, and Batman tells Superman. Now, if you didn't hear about this on Down and Nerdy, and you heard about this on another site, you would think that this was crazy. Batman actually tells Superman in this issue that he better not pursue him anymore because there is a bomb that would be triggered that would kill innocents if he pursued him again. Wow. Does that sound like Batman to you? No, no. it doesn't. But we found out later on that Batman was actually talking about himself, not citizens. He was bluffing, basically, Yeah. for, for Superman. So basically, at some point... Of course, they question each other's methods. And that, again, goes into the rumors that we've heard about in the Batman vs. Superman movie. Now, right. they're actually forced to team up to capture Magpie. They are forced together to capture Magpie. And Magpie is the first villain that was ever pursued by Batman and Superman together. Right. Now, of course, they disagree with each other, but they respect each other. And as far as the Lex Luthor character goes, we've heard that he's going to be a businessman, not a mad scientist. Right. Well, guess what he is in this run? Businessman. He's a businessman, power-hungry, egotistical. Sound familiar? He's got a thing for Lois Lane. They actually have a party on a yacht where he tries to hit on her, and Superman has to come save the day because Lex tries to turn the tables. And he's actually hiring villains to fight for him, Mm -hmm. which, again... Goes with what we're hearing about Batman versus Superman. And who is the villain that pops up in issue five? Bizarro. Wow. So he's, but do you think that might be too old? I mean, they're throwing in Wonder Woman and stuff like that, but more cameo. But I mean, do you think that maybe that's too much, though? I like, think to go they're, off of? I think they're going to use this as a base, more so for the story between Batman and Superman. Yeah. But they're working in the other characters. In order to, because basically, Luthor is trying to turn the world against Superman. Right. As in being a businessman. So what he's doing is, is he's going to use what happened in Man of Steel, the first one that everybody was so upset about with all the destruction, to not only try and turn the public against them, but that same destruction will be what brings other heroes into the fold, like Aquaman, like we were talking about. You know, there was he's not happy that some of the ocean was messed with. Yeah. So he's going to be upset. Uh, Wonder Woman's going to come in. It looks like the guys from Joe Blow were, uh, were dropped a little exclusive today, too. This she's, they said that Wonder Woman's actually going to get some more screen time, and she's going to be part of the final battle. I'm saying right now, the final battle, it's going to be Bizarro. Yeah. Bizarro's going to be the one that they battle, and I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to drop... That's the first bombshell that I'm going to drop for you. The Bizarro is going to be in, end up being the one that they're fighting in this film from Lex Luthor. Right. It's going to be an extension of Luthor. And I'm going to drop a bombshell right now. Now, Tao Akimoto, the Japanese actress... Right. ...that was cast in an unnamed role in the film will be the one that ends up playing Magpie in this movie. Yeah. I'm going on a limb right there. That's your second down and nerdy bombshell from this. She's going to play the character. i got a picture of the character right here. Yeah. So it's an older character, yeah. but they're going for a younger Lex Luthor. Uh-huh. Why wouldn't you go for a younger Magpie? Magpie? And with her experience in the Wolverine and the things that she did in that film, I feel like she's the one that is uh, that is going to be the one that reprises that role. Because if they're going to, and this would be canon. Look, keep that in mind, people. This would not be a oh well. Why don't they ever stick to the comics? Read the, read the six issues of this comic. Because this was a basis for things that were done well into the 2000s 
in DC Comics. This is canon, people. So you cannot turn around and say they're not sticking to the comics because they're basing it off of this, at least partially. I'm not saying fully. This will not be a shot-for-shot of the Man of Steel limited series. What they're doing is they're taking pieces of it, and I think that the introduction between Batman and Superman is the one thing that they went to this and said, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah, I think that, you know, I mean... when it comes to this, to this and to us saying that this, you know, breaking news kind of thing, I mean, this is our speculation, but when you put the pieces together and you're seeing how in, in certain movies you're using kind of more unknown canons mm-hmm. or canons that are well-known, but, you know, nobody really, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not, this is not something that, because I can tell you right now, and I did digging on this because I wanted to make sure that nobody thought of this first. Right. Gone to every news site that I could think of. Nobody's come up with this theory. Yeah. So if you see this somewhere else or hear this somewhere else and Dan Nerdy's not attached, I want you to remember and, and I want you to remember that when this movie comes out yeah. that you heard it on Down and Nerdy first. Yeah. And we have the audio recording and we even have our Facebook page at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. And again, I'm not saying I'm right and I'm not saying that this is going to be the basis for the entire movie because... But when you look at stuff, it's kind of piecing it together a little bit. Now, what they can do is they can use that for the foundation between the angle between Batman and Superman, which I think will happen earlier on in the film. Right. And I think that it's going to be one of those things where once the film goes further, because it's going to be a long movie. Yeah. It's going to be over two hours easy. Yeah. So as the film goes further, and once we establish the relationship between Batman and Superman, and once we establish Lex Luthor, and they might even introduce Bizarro by halfway through the film. Right. Once you've got that, that's when Wonder Woman starts to come in. Or maybe during the smear campaign between Lex with Lex Luthor, that's when you get the cameo she'll, with Aquaman. Yeah, or she'll be Diana Prince. And I think well, she'll be Diana the, Prince. For the most entirety of yes. the film until that final battle yes. where she's like... I'm Wonder Woman, bitches. And I will give the guys, that, again, at Joe Blow credit for this because they dropped this. They said that Wonder Woman's costume is going to be badass and battle-ready. Yeah. So it's going to be very much more like the traditional costume. It's not going to be the leather jacket costume. That's Good. been Good. Been, uh, and they, they haven't said for sure whether or not it's going to have the star on her, uh, on her, I guess, crown, you could call it. Tiara. Tiara, there you go. It's, they're not necessarily saying that that's going to be present, but it'll still look like it's supposed to look like. And she's going to have the weapon, she's going to have the shield, she's going to have the sword, she's going to have the lasso, according to those guys. So, Well, she would have to. She's fucking Wonder Woman. Exactly. So all I'm saying is it's not going to be the entire movie. But if you're looking at the basis for this movie, the foundation which this movie will stand on, this is where they're going to get it from. And I, if I am right, I'm going to shout it from the friggin' rooftops. Yes. And speaking of staying in D.C., and Batman, not Superman, just, but just Batman, the Tina Review reported that WB is eyeing a 2019 uh, release year for a solo Batman film, James. Now, here's the thing. A, is this too... Because I mean, you notice, like, they have, like, what, Superman 2 doesn't come out until... 2018. 2018. Yeah. So, if you're, you know, seeing this, like, okay, yeah, like, Shazam plan and Green Arrow, or Green, you know, Green Lantern and Flash team up... Do you think they're making the right decision by having these other people come in and then waiting five or so years to make a sequel? 
you know, for another Batman or their big two, pretty much. I kind of understand why they're doing it because I think they almost feel like Batman was done so soon and they don't want to butt it up too much against the Nolan movies because they don't want that comparison. Right. With a Batman standalone film, you're still going to, people are still going to comp- compare Ben Affleck to Christian Bale no matter what. Right. Because of the Batman versus Superman movie. But I think as far as standalone, they're going to call it, supposedly they're going to call it The Batman, the Batman, by the way, which I think is a great. Simple title to use. Yes, you don't need to muck it up like they did with Batman versus Superman. They're doing it the right way with this one, at least. But the reason why they're they're waiting from 2019 as well is because Affleck, he's also a writer and director. He's writing, directing, and he's going to star in his next uh, directorial movie called Live by Night, which actually I can't wait to see because it's supposed to be really amazing. Mm. Um, And that's going to be in summer of next year, Uh, and that film will debut on in 2016 in October, which is October, yeah. and so there's a frib a lot of time for DC to be like, okay, maybe let's get some writing, let's get, let's let's take right. care of this first. And, and let's face it, Affleck's a big name now, and he has he needs time to do his other projects. Well, this I, was already in the works before I, this, so I wouldn't say he's a big name. I'll say he's a good name now. Let's put it that way, because he because he's actually a Ben Affleck. So okay, he's a big name, but. He's not really the greatest guy you want in a movie, but now this is true. But he's he's a known entity. He's right. a Oscar nominated filmmaker. Right. And he's won awards for his filmmaking, well, not his well, acting. Argo, his filmmaking. Well, yeah. Well, Argo won Best Picture. So. Yeah. So I mean, let's let's not. That's why I say big name because think about where he was. Oh, right. His, he was always a name, but now he's becoming a respected name. Yeah, he was always a name where it was like, Ben Affleck's playing this guy. Really? And you laugh out loud. Reindeer games? Yeah. Yeah, you laugh out loud. You Let's bring up Jersey Girl, which, uh, Kevin Smith. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but, I mean, certain things, Geely, certain stuff he's done in the past, you go, ah, really? But, but it's like James Hyde, man, Ben Affleck and Fam was the bomb! Yeah, see, I mean... But, and Ben was, and ben was like, fucking right! <laughs> I, I just, I think he's going to do a good job. I, I think, I wonder if they're waiting to because they want to do Joker again. I hope not. But I think I think one of the reasons they might want to do Joker is I think DC at this point is looking for any excuse to get Harley Quinn on the big screen. Oh, yeah. I think they want, because the fan demand is so high for Harley Quinn, that I think they want, if that means doing Joker again, they want any excuse to get Harley on the big I mean, screen. It would be great. I mean, the marketing would be there. I mean, can you imagine Bill Cosby and Harley Quinn putting pops? Those would be amazing. Oh, my goodness. Bill Cosby with the Harley and the Quinn and the Burn and the Pops and the Maw. But, uh, I mean, think about the other ways they could go with this, too. They could go Court of Owls. They could go yeah. with the New 52 Court of Owls storyline, which would be very cool, very interesting. There's plenty. Of, I'm not saying they have to do characters well, no, they haven't but done with the co- But with the way the costume is, you can tell they're kind of going to go for, you know, going with that newer kind of costume look uh, um, from the comics. So it's kind of like they're going to go. I can see them going with maybe not so much more major names I can even see them doing like a, a Professor Pig movie or something like that you know having these smaller right. antagonists in these not I think only they want that it's such a big universe not only that if you wait long enough if they're going to wait until 2019 and establish Batman through this movie and then Justice League and then in the solo maybe they do Death in the Family that would be great maybe they do that because that would be an excellent film if they were going to go that route I mean so DC if you're going to go that route I don't mind waiting until 2019 because you'd have to lay groundwork plus, to do that. Plus, the great about having Affleck in there is he's a dad. He's at that dad age. Yep. You can introduce Damian Wayne if you wanted exactly. to. Exactly. And there's no, phenomenal. there's no saying that won't happen either. And I, they're going to introduce a Robin at some point. Yeah. Whether it's Tim Drake 
Whether it's the whether it's the Red Hood Jason Todd. I think what they'll do is if they're going to introduce a Robin, I think Nightwing's already going to exist. Yeah. They're going to go like Jason Todd. Yeah, they won't go the Grayson route, which I think is smart. And I think that they're going to introduce a lot of different characters, and they've got plenty of time until 2019. But speaking of introductions, something that I don't think we expected to get news on now is a new director for the next Star Wars film. Yeah, I mean, Deadline's reported that uh, Brick, Looper, and Brothers Bloom uh, director Ryan Johnson is, play- is, going to pretty much di- is going to direct Star Wars Episode Eight. And they're saying nine, maybe that's not necessarily yeah. confirmed. He's going to write it too as well. Yeah. They're not saying for sure nine yet, but it sort of looks that way right now. Yeah. So they're not, they're not confirming it, but definitely eight. And Gareth Edwards and Josh Trank are also doing the solo film, so it's a spinoff film. One of them's going to be Boba Fett. Boba Fett's going to be one Just of them. Just wrap your head around that right now. Yeah, one of them's going to be Boba Fett. I don't know who the other one would be. I'm not totally sure, but... The plan for is for a new Star Wars film to hit every year, beginning with Episode Seven, of course, in December of next year. I have no problem with that at all. So Disney's got both feet in the water; they're diving right in. There's, and I like, I'm not gonna lie, I like the idea that they're saying, you know what, we're gonna go with a new director every film because it's kind of like, okay, J.J. Abrams, he's not gonna. It's like he's got a lot going on. He's got a lot like, going on. It. But it's also kind of like I think you, with certain directors, especially when it comes to um, movies, it's like okay. The longer you go, then you bring that new guy in. Everybody's kind of like, kind of like, oh, really, kind of thing. Yeah. Like if you had to say, okay, JJ Abrams is gonna do two, then you know Johnson's gonna do two, right, or whatever. It's like no, that's not because if JJ makes two shitty Star Wars movies, you know, or at least ones that don't live up to the hype, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm sorry, like I said I always keep on saying, but Into Darkness, it was just they just didn't do it for me. The first one did it for me, but. JJ was the guy's like, oh, we're gonna go off canon, and then we're just gonna, but he ends up making the same thing. To me, for him, it's body of work. Yeah, and and that's why I, I was excited that he jumped on board because it's it's not just about one film. But I'm it's glad body of work I think is fantastic, and I th- I think he'll do a great job. But, but I understand what you're saying, and now I know people are probably sitting here thinking, weren't you guys just talking about continuity and how you should keep the same people? It's not the same thing. Per, yeah. This is different. Now I do worry that. I don't want the two films to be completely different from each other either. Yeah. And I do worry about that because J.J.'s got his vision. And Ryan Johnson, who's not that much of an experienced filmmaker, I mean, he's only got ten films since 1996, and they've been spaced out a lot. Right. And now, I thought Looper was a, was a pretty good movie. I thought yeah. it was a very interesting story. I just worry that their two mindsets aren't very similar. The only thing I wish about Looper was that I wish it was more about Joseph Gordon-Levin chasing down Bruce Willis yeah. instead of them yeah. sitting on the farm the entire time. Yeah, I mean, and I understand why they did that, but yeah, it tended That's to drag. That's what the whole premise it was. Tended to dra- it tended to drag a little bit, too. And that was that was one of the things that sucked for me about Looper. And that's what I don't want to happen with a new Star Wars movie. And I'm not saying J.J. Abrams couldn't wouldn't be guilty of the same thing at times, but... I just worry with this guy. He's not very experienced. Uh, none of the movies jump out at me. I mean, it was one of those things where, yeah, it was an okay movie. At least I can point to two or three things with J.J. Abrams and go, that was awesome. I can't wait because he right. did this, he did that. I can't say that with this guy, and I'm not necessarily saying he won't do a good job either. But I think, I mean, you go from a movie like Looper, Brothers Bloom was a con men type movie. So it's not like he's got a whole lot of experience in the sci-fi realm other than Looper. So right. I don't know. I mean, it remains to be seen. I'm the guy that will give everybody a chance, so I'm not going to harp on the guy too bad. I hope he does a great job. Yeah, and speaking of 
Well, not really giving a chance. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> not even close. Marvel pretty much just dropped the boom on Fantastic Four, or Ultimate Fantastic Four, and they canceled it after six issues. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, let's face it, it didn't look like a good comic. But here's the thing. You've got this whole back and forth with... So much criticism so far already with the Fantastic Four film. and you know, 20th Century Fox. And you know me, I don't like to criticize stuff that you haven't even seen a trailer and none of that. But, I mean, all the stuff you're hearing from the casting to the, the villains that they want to go with. And yeah. the storyline that it looks like they're taking. And it's like, I can't, I can't point to one thing to even justify looking at this film yeah. and go, I can't, I, let's the give one- this a chance. No, I can't. The one thing that makes the Fantastic Four so great is that they're the elder statesmen of the Marvel universe yeah. in a sense. Yeah. They're the old, you know, they're the older people, you know, the, you know, and but no, now with Spider-Man, we got to make him fucking I mean, young, I mean, Spider-Man's always young, but still it's like, you know, we got to make him ultimate, ultimate Spider-Man because he's got to be, you know, the younger high school Peter Parker, which I don't have a problem with, but still. But it's like, okay, now we go ultimate with Fantastic Four, and everybody's going to be younger. You know, it's like, what's going, what's the next? We have Marvel, Marvel babies, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, maybe going we're going to be, maybe we're going to do Toddler Pool and do Deadpool with yeah. his kid or something. I don't know. I mean, it, it's just interesting because the the writer Josh Haloff, and I'm not, there's no way I'm pronouncing that last name. Not going to happen. Josh Halfiakov. Thank you. Uh, anyway, he got he went on Twitter and he said that he's sad to say Ultimate Fantastic Four is finished after issue six. And due to my illness last month, my last issue was five. Heartbroken but extremely grateful. Now, here's the thing. I realize that Marvel is probably concerned with the direction of the Fantastic Four in the cinematic universe. Right, because it was already ruined once. Right. So, I get that. But this is kind of a childish move for me. I mean, six issues... They give garbage longer than that. That's true. And the thing, that's the thing. is like people are like, well, six issues, why are they canceling it? Like, oh, well, it wasn't selling that well. No, but again, it's Marvel. It's one of their major, major properties. Right. If This is going to be either one of, this is either one of your flagship properties or it's not. I don't think if, if uh, Green Lantern didn't sell well or Superman didn't sell well, DC would go, you know, we're just going to cancel it even though the movie's coming out. Yeah. No, it doesn't. No, you cannot do that. You can't just dump it. I can tell you right now. That Marvel, and I hope you're all listening to this, you guys wouldn't have the balls to drop Spider-Man just because you weren't happy with what Sony was doing with the property. There is no way in hell you would drop Spider-Man in, because of spite to keep them from ruining But see, the here's the thing, though. Even though Fantastic Four was still, like, the main set, like, they were one of the big people over Mar- big heroes over Marvel, they're not on the level of Spider-Man, though. It's like saying, no, saying, it's you're, saying you're going to cancel Superman is totally different than saying you're going to cancel Fantastic Four. This is Four. a flagship property I understand for Marvel, that. though. This was where it all started for them, along with Spider-Man. You can't just dump your flagship property. That that would be like DC dumping Superman. Just because Superman ended up being way more important than the Fantastic Four, Superman was still a flagship property of DC Comics. You can't just dump it because you're not happy with who you sold the rights to for the film. But it is They the, made that mistake initially anyway. But here's the thing, though. I mean, if you look at it, yeah, I don't like the way that they're going with this movie. But in the end of the day, it's like like you said, they sold the rights to them. So Marvel has to be like, you know what? We made a mistake. Now, maybe if you want to talk to Fox and, hey, is there a way we can buy these back? You know, or whatever. And right. that probably won't happen because Fox is like, well, we're going to lose money. And not you know? only that, I mean, maybe have more input. 
Yeah. Maybe you should have had more creative input in the process in the first place. But Marvel's concentrating on their bigger properties with Disney and Marvel Studios, which, you know, I understand that, you know, but it, again, don't have too many cooks in the it, kitchen. In the perfect universe, Marvel owns other properties. <laughs> well, they never should have sold them off in the first place. No. That's the problem. But I don't think Marvel thought they would be as big as they are now, though. With I know, I, underst- I understand that. I just, I- I'm glad that DC didn't do this. I think it's one of the few things that they've done right in past years is not sell off bits and pieces. Of, of their universe as right. far as their major characters. I just think it's sad. I've never been a huge Fantastic Four fan, to be honest, and I realize they're not the big kids on the block right now. I just think it's sad that a flagship property, that this is where Stanley kind of started it all, right. that it's come to this kind of infighting and this petty crap. It's just, I don't see how it got to this point. And, and speaking of, of petty crap, I mean, well, not really petty, it's actually kind of big, at least from, in my eyes. Um, so Sony, we mentioned Sony, right? Well, they're also a video game company, as we both know. Right. And the PS4 is out, so you know they're going to re-release some of their games on that came on the older last-gen PS3 version. Best-selling console for like three months running, by the way. Yeah. And so one of those titles, of course, is going to be The Last of Us, and they remastered it and re-digitized it, so it all looks perfect for PS4 standards. So games nowadays, we know, are sixty dollars a piece. Oh, easy. Now, where am I going with this? Well. People, Sony still want people to pre-order. So when you put a pre-order down, you know, or people will sometimes will flat out buy the game for you know, full price. Like, you know what? I gotta do that. That's why I do a Grand Theft Auto three or four one year. Um, I had the money, and I was like, you know what? Instead of putting five dollars down a pre-order or ten dollars a pre-order, I'm just gonna pay the entire thing off. Yeah, why not? And I'm just gonna just go pick it up. So, anyways, they dropped the price pretty much because the MSRP they dropped the price to forty nine ninety nine. So ten dollars. Was fifty nine ninety nine? Yeah, originally. they dropped it ten dollars. So. What do they say to the people who pre-ordered it and they paid it off or whatever, paid the full sixty or got the sixty dollars version? Can we give them, uh, you know, ten dollars back in refund? Nope. Nope. Sony went out and, and pretty much said they're not going to give refunds to people. Who's like, hey, if you already gave us your sixty dollars, bye bye. You know, you can enjoy your enjoy your rehashing of a game that we sold again eight and, months and ago. Part of that's on you, too. Yeah. You really need to rebuy the game because the graphics are better. I mean, maybe if you've got that kind of money. I don't. Yeah, I don't. You don't. I, I don't see how it could be that much different. I get why you do it, though. But, I mean, if, especially if you haven't bought the game at all, I get it. But I think that here's the thing, though. Um... You know, even in the fine print bottom reads, you may not cancel pre-order at any time, and refunds are not available for pre-order subject to applicable laws. So, you know, it's, you know, if you got it from the PlayStation Network at $60, and it's like, you want to get, they won't refund you. It's likewise said episodes ago when I said, I wanted to download Last of Us and through the PlayStation Store, so I didn't have to go out and buy it because it was right. sold out everywhere. And what happened? I read the fine print. And it says, if you do not have the right amount of space and you're at 99%, you can't get that extra 100%, 1%, you're screwed. We do not give you refunds. So people read this fine print. That's my problem. I, I, I understand that, you know, my take was this too, is like, it's, it's a double-edged sword both ways. It really is. I mean, as a consumer, yeah, it's shitty of Sony not to, to say, you know, yeah, we dropped the price and we didn't really announce it until it was randomly just announced, yeah, we're dropping the price. Right. Um, if you, if you were going to do that, tell people, you would tell people like, Hey, you can pre-order it now for 60 bucks, but let us know if you wait an extra couple of months, we'll drop it down $10. Right. But we're not stupid either. We know Sony wants you to spend 60 bucks if you're right. willing to do so. But 
And, and that's all that comes down to my point. Read, you you got to read the fine print. I mean, there was a story not too long ago of a company that actually snuck it into their uh, terms of service that if you hit I accept, they own your soul. Yeah. I don't remember what the story was. I'm sure you could look it up quickly. Um, but And, of course, they're, they're not going to enforce that. They were just trying to make a point. But, you know, there's there's got to be a sense of personal accountability here. And like you said, the thing about Sony, that's pretty well known. If you don't finish a download, you don't get a refund. Now, I'm not saying it's not shady. I'm not saying it's not crappy. But know what you're dealing with. There are right. like a hundred ways you can pre-order this game. And if you choose to do it this way, you have to accept a certain amount of risk that the price might be dropped. It's, it's kind of like the reason I always pre-order my Blu-rays through Amazon. Right. Because they have the low price guarantee. So, And it's within 24 hours of the release date, too. So if, if uh, Best Buy decides to drop the price... Two bucks. Amazon will give me back that two bucks, and they'll match it, and I don't have to do anything. But see, and that's the, and that's the thing too is, you know, I mentioned this last night. I said, well, Amazon gives refunds, but then I remembered, Amazon, you know, is kind of goes through other people. Like they're like they're on, so they're on trying to go for that lower price guarantee. So like you said, if Best Buy drops it, you know, then whatever. But Sony is their own company. Exactly. Sony drops a so when Sony drops, you know, I say we're gonna sell for sixty, and they drop to forty. It's not like. You know, Microsoft and Sony having both the last, you know, having the last one. Microsoft says, "Okay, you buy through Xbox Live or whatever. It's forty, and Sony's okay. You know, we're going to match that and give right. you back ten dollars. Right. That would be a lot easier. But because Sony is their own entity, because they're pretty much you know they're selling the Last of Us. Um, yeah, it's it's that's why it's harder for them to give people a refund. Right, and and again, I think think it comes down to a sense of personal responsibility. If you know this about Sony. Stop giving them your money directly. Yeah. Go through somebody else. There's a million different places you could pre-order this game. As a matter of fact, I think you probably could pre-order it on, on Amazon. Yeah. And you would get the low price guarantee. So you would have got your ten bucks back without even batting an eye. It would have just happened. So and you know, maybe that's maybe that's something I shouldn't say about about <laughs> Sony. Maybe I shouldn't say don't give me your business, but you know, we're podcasters, but we're also consumers. Yeah. So as a consumer, I'm gonna do my due diligence and see where the best place to pre-order this game is and what extras I can get mm-hmm. as far as, you know, price. Price should be the biggest point always to yeah. me. It should always be price. But then, you know, what extras can I get? And if, you, if you're willing to gamble $10 to get the better extras or the certain extras from Sony directly, you can't be upset if you know they've done this before and they do it again. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it's shady on both ends. Like I said, read... You know, like I said, I know it's a lot. Nobody reads it all. Nobody reads it all, but at least the first part, at least read the first page. So, like, that's where all the big letters are, so read that. Or even skip to the liability part of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it'll probably all be right there. You don't have to read the don't don't copy this and give it to somebody else. You're not stupid. You know you're not supposed to do that. But read the parts that are important for you in that moment. Yeah. That's the bottom line here because... I mean, yeah, did they screw you if this happened to you? Yeah, they screwed you, but you screwed yourself because you didn't read it because big companies like that will always cover themselves to where you cannot get your money back if they put it in the terms of service. So as a big company, they all do that. So you better make sure you know what you're getting into before you put your little accept button. Just know what you're getting into, and I think that this is just another lesson in, in stuff like that. But speaking of which... We have another lesson in how to bring a card game to the big screen, which is a feat within itself. Oh, yes. Now, when I was in high school, I played 
different card games. I, I collected Pokemon cards, but I never played the game. I played Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, but I never went out and bought cards. There would be like people in my high school be like, hey, I'm selling my deck for like right. 20 bucks. Do you want it? And I'd be like, oh, sure. Why not? And so the card, they had a lot of nice cards. And buddy of mine, um, when I was in high school, said, hey, do you, would you want to get into Magic, the Gathering? And I said, yeah, definitely. Like, well, what kind of deck do you want? And I kind of knew somebody know all. I said, just build me a deck. And he built me. I remember I walked into the cafeteria for, you know, we had school breakfast and everything. That's where everybody would play their get card games. Right. And he was just whooping this kid's ass in Magic. And this kid <laughs> goes, and I just gave him the money. And he, the kid goes, wait, that's your deck? I'm like, yeah, it's not my deck. He goes, dude, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, like a, it was like a red and blue deck. And it was kick ass. Nice. And... So if you don't know about this, about the game itself... Because I, mean, I wasn't that familiar with it. I know right. of it, but I don't know the details. Well, Magic, for those of you who don't know, um, was launched in 1993 by Wizards of the Coast, which is owned by Hasbro. Right. And so it, it's set in a realm and had by Wizards known as Planewalkers. And so what you can do, James, is you can... They have different, five different colors. You know, they have red, blue, green. Um, they believe it's like a yellow. And then there's a, a black. And each of them represents like a different element kind of thing. So, so like fire, water, fire, water. Like Forest like earth, and then ones be like plain kind okay, of thing, and then, right. and then the black is like your your death kind of black magic esque right. okay. kind of thing, um, and you approach like they have you have these little things called mana, so you had to put mana, which is like okay, it's like uh, element card that kind of I thing. do know about. Yeah. So yeah, okay, I can only use card to have like two fire mana down, so you put down two fire mana each turn or one each turn. And apparently that's how it went. It was fun. I loved playing it. I don't play it anymore because I just don't have time, nor do I have the money. It's very expensive. Let's mention those decks, man. Woo! Oh, my God. Have you seen some of just the singles? Yeah. Just on eBay alone, or if you go to a local shop, just browse the case. It's behind glass for a reason, if you don't know already. And so you use different spells, artifacts, and fancy elements to do to you know to beat your opponent. And 20th Century Fox is going to make a big screen adaptation of Magic the Gathering. And who do they have to write it? Well, Game of Thrones writer, producer, and story editor, Brian Cogman. Which means half the characters will be dead in the first No, movie. it's not George. No, well, I'm it's just not, well, no, it's not George R.R. Martin. I, I kid, I kid. <laughs> but the, um, he, Simon Kinberg did the screenplay, so Cogman's coming in to rewrite it. Right. Um, whenever you bring somebody in that has this, like, medieval times type of savviness and able to write that time era it brings it out full fold yeah and I think that what they did right and this 20th Century Fox by the way yeah. it's doing this what they did right is they went and grabbed a name from a show that everybody knows so you see Game of Thrones in print everybody's interested now all of a sudden if you didn't know what Magic the Gathering was now all of a sudden because everybody loves Game of Thrones and it was it goes back to the whole bandwagon jumping thing we talked about earlier yeah Everybody knows what Game of Thrones is, so all of a sudden they've just brought attention to the Magic the Gathering movie automatically, even for people that don't know what it is. But here's my thing, and since you played Magic, I'll ask you this. Okay. How difficult is it going to be to bring what's essentially a card game into a feature film and actually be able to build a story around it? Um, well, because I believe there's also comics, or Magic Gaming, I believe there's a comics, or there were some books from Magic they wrote, so you can go out with those. Um, I'm not totally sure, but I remember that there was something about them being like a Magic the Comic and, and, and book. So there is canon there yeah. to go off of. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like you're going straight off of a book. Kind of, it's just, it's or, just or funny because a card game. you think of like when they did Clue as a movie. Yeah. And Clue was a board game. Yeah. So you're like... But Clue was fun. I like that It was movie. fun. It was a cool movie. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting to get 
what's essentially, even if, and, and again, I'm not as familiar with this, so if there are comics, I apologize for not knowing that, but it, it's just interesting to see something that goes from what's basically a game to a movie. Right. Which I'm not saying it's not doable, it's just, okay, well, how are you going to do Dude, that? Dude, they made Battleship into a fucking movie. Yeah, but so. that was terrible. But still, they made Battleship into a movie. You, they cast Rihanna. But they made Battleship into a movie. Yeah, but then they cast... But they like made Rihanna. fucking Battleship into a movie! Ugh. It was terrible. They made Battleship into a movie, so stop. <laughs> For Christ's sakes. All you do is say D4, hit, that's it. Coming soon, 20th Century Fox presents Shoots and Ladders. Hey, that'd be fun as hell. That'd be a great, that'd be an amazing amusement park. It's gonna be a new reality show, I'm doing it. It'd be amazing, dude. Copyright right now. Copy- well, I don't think you can, because um, um, Milton Bradley kind of has copyright. Doing it anyway. Can't do it. <laughs> Can't do it. Come at me, Milton Bradley. Come come at me, bro. Dude, come in the mist. Yeah, and also Mr. Minato comes and shanks you when you open the that door. That would be bad. That would he be sh- bad. He shanks you with the, th- he was wearing a thimble. He, he stabs you with an iron. I'm gonna recruit the Monopoly guy. Jesus Christ. So anyways, um, yeah, so Fox is doing this. I'm interested because, you know, you had the World of Warcraft movie coming out too, so I think Fox... See, to me, that that's more that makes more sense. Well, there's more to go on. Because, there. really, dude? Because all World of Warcraft is is you're going from one island to the other island and getting stuff. That's but to it. me, it's easier to adapt a game than it is a, a, a video game than it is a card game, which may or may, or may not contain comics. They made Battleship into a movie. <laughs> Can't be your argument for everything. <laughs> they can. <laughs> and it will. And it again. shouldn't have happened. It, it, it shouldn't have happened, but it fucking happened. So, and it's okay. People have too much money and time on their hands. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> well, speaking of too much money and time off our hands, what, what we're going to do is that's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News. And we're going to go right to our main topic after this break. It's going to be talking about when... You should go on and off of canon, and also what makes certain video games and movies their own identity. We'll talk more about that this week on our main topic. You won't want to miss it. Get ready to fire the canon on Don Nerdy. Okay, so we use words like source material all the time when it comes to superhero and video game movies, and now it's time to fire the canons or not. And we're going to talk about adaptations, kind of in a way, when it comes to video game movies and superhero movies. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, when you hear somebody's doing a movie on, or if it's Magic the Gathering, or if it's uh, Batman, or whomever, and the thing is, okay, how far they follow the source material? You know, as people who read comic books, we tend to get into that whole fraternizing thing of, they everybody's got to be a certain way, or not totally 100%, but at least follow the canon right, don't differentiate from it. I know when X-Men Days of Future Past was first announced, to be a movie, and they say, okay, well, Wolverine's gonna go back in time. It's like the Pride, there was fan outrage. Right. And people were like, well, how can that be? It's not exactly. But then when you saw it, you're like, oh, it makes sense. They explained it so well. And I think that that is a perfect example. Luckily, we just happen to have one that just happened. Yeah. It's a perfect example of if you're not gonna do it exactly the way the comic is, and I by no means have ever said you need to do that. But if you're not gonna do it, the way the comic does it, give me a reason why in the movie, not behind the scenes of the movie, tell me in the movie why you're doing it this way. And the way they explain it in Days of Future Past, and the theater, I went, oh, okay. okay. And I moved on with my life. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that as fans that have been fans of this kind of stuff for a long time, right? it's easy to get caught up in knowing so many of the past stories. And so many of the past adaptations. 
that it's easy to see something that gets done now and you go, wait a minute, you cannot do that. Don't, that, that ruins it for me entirely. Oh, Why know, did they do that? I know I say this a lot. I'm sorry for ragging on this movie so many times, but Iron Man 3, perfect example of not going to follow canon. That's been in the news a lot lately with the whole Guy Ritchie interview and saying, yep. but he kind of killed By the way, credibility. fuck you for posting that. It pissed me off in more ways than one. <laughs> hey, that was payback for a post that you had the day before about Batman getting his ass kicked by like 10, 15 people. But so I didn't write the article, though. We're even, bitch. Okay? We are even. And I didn't write the Guy Ritchie article either, so we're even. But, I still, mean... You're still a horrible person. And that's... I know that. And that's... That was part of it. He, and he lost his credibility when he said, I didn't read comics, but... And everybody stopped nah. listening. Yeah, that's, that's, when, everybody everybody stopped that's listening. when I went to Giant Fuck You, because I'm like, dude, didn't read the... And I understand it. People like, okay, we want people who say they didn't read the comics, and they, you know, like, oh, did you... Oh, I was a big fan of this guy growing up. Were you really? Like... I mean, and granted, we thought, okay, what's the realness of it? But you can't say, yeah, this 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 did it the right way. You know, I didn't read the comics. You know, at least maybe have some sort of an idea. And these, it, he was in the movie. He's not gonna bash the movie. He was, of in. course not. He's not gonna, he's not gonna pull a George Clooney where he said, no. yeah, we we messed up. It was a bad decision. Well, here's my thing too, and and this is kind of the opposite of what we just talked about. They did. This was a twist. Nobody know. Nobody saw this coming. Right. And there's a certain amount of, hey, that's cool to that, but you didn't give me a reason why you did this. Right. There was no precedent. Because, like for I this said, there are so many plot holes. If you watch the movie, like I said, there's like Tony Stark goes, okay, they, their core body temperature cannot reach this certain degrees. If it reaches a certain degrees, then they become on fire and they just turn to ash pretty much. And what's the next scene we see? Aldrich Killian shooting fire and he proclaims he's the Mandarin when he's clearly not. And it's like, so why does what he just said not contribute to him? <laughs> Everybody else, you know, like Right. You know, and, and then they had Marvel had the the whole one shot. I watched the one shot with uh, Ben Kingsley's character mm. and at the end this guy's like Oh yeah, my boss. You know, oh no, but you intimidated. You used his name, so it's kind of oh, the Mandarin's still out there, kind of thing. But I'm just like, no, fuck you. Like, like, <laughs> well, that was them trying to hit the redo button. Yeah, but but you can tell that it was such an it was such a reach for the the alternate universe button, pretty much. It was like, you know, in the alternate universe, we didn't do go this route. Right. Well, and it's funny too because we can even go go as far back as as the Tim Burton's original Batman film. And having it so Jack Napier, the Joker, right. actually kills Batman's parents. Now, we all know that's not the case. Joe, Joe Chill. Chill did it. But it's almost like... But but because those films were made so... That film was made so well, other than that, people right. just kind of don't talk about that. And I think that's kind of okay. And here's why. And I thought, I thought about this a few weeks ago. When you reviewed your uh, "What If" yeah, comic, yeah. So, as I th- after I th- after you did that, I went home and I was thinking about that concept, and I thought about the Burton Batman film, and I'm like, so this is kind of like a unintentional "What If" the Joker killed Kill Batman's, Batman's parents. parents? Would Batman have killed the Joker that quickly instead yeah. of constantly, you know, throwing him in jail? Oh, yeah, he, he kicked him off the of building. Thing. He yeah. just lands and, he, and so. Just, He's dead. If you're still upset about that, first of all, it was a great movie. Get over yourself. 
Dude, that dude, that fight. I got this right now. That fight between him and that big. Oh yeah, with, the, into the bell. Into and the all bell. Oh, oh, dude, that scene. Still I'm just one like, of my favorite moments. I'm in like, comic that's so book great. Movies. I'm gonna post that on our Facebook page later today. By the way, so, it's such a great fight scene. First of all, get over yourself. Second of all, maybe you chill out for five seconds and you consider that. It's a what-if scenario. Now, I'm not saying right. that's what Tim Burton was doing. I'm not going to give him that much credit. Right. But maybe you, as a fan, take it that way and say, well, this is kind of interesting because it kind of gives us a what-if Batman's parents were killed by the Joker instead of Joe Chill. Right. I still think the whole Jack Napier thing was kind of <laughs> corny. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that that was kind of a, a shitty thing to do. But at the same time... The what if scenario in that is pretty cool for me. So in that instance, right. I don't think you get too upset about it because it's it was a good movie and they went way off canon, but the way it was kind of a what if <laughs> kind of worked out in a way. Right. So I think that's one another example that you go way off canon, but because it was so well done, you don't you kinda don't care. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at it in canon, it's like, okay, you can you know they're gonna deviate from it somewhat because they want to make their own film. Yeah, they don't want to make it a shot for shot. Um, you know, when you see certain certain aspects of, of certain superhero movies and stuff like that, it's like for example, you know, look at Godzilla that came out this year. It's like, okay, cool, they went back to the whole He's more of the defender of the universe. He's not really tearing down buildings. You know, I didn't think it was a great film, but still, I'm glad they went back to that kind of canonization of like, okay, right. this is what he is. He's not this thing that destroys cities. He saves people, pretty much. Now, and I think that we also need to discuss something that never really gets discussed, and it's that, what if you go too much to the canon? People argue all the time that they didn't do it this way. They didn't, they didn't stick to the canon all the time, but... Think about what you'd get if they did do that. So what do you think? How much is too much you'd when get, it comes to going with the camera? If they did that, you would get something like, you would get a movie that you would already know. Um, whereas when they go off canon, they bring these certain different scenarios. Like, for example, with the Joker killing Batman's parents, it gets the whole, huh, here's an interesting idea. It's an interesting concept. You know, movies, certain movies are designed to make you think. And I think that with superhero movies, not a lot of people do that. They just look at like the source material and they say, "Well, this has to be like this," right? Kind of thing. Um, they, I think, really you have to look at it and be like, "Okay, that's a very interesting spin that you have." And I know that's what Marvel tried to do with Iron Man three or say, "Okay, we're going to spin on the Mandarin character," but it's like it just backfires. It's not totally. always going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. Um, especially when something like that radical, especially when you cast somebody like Ben Kingsley and you say, "Okay, we're going to be the Mandarin, but we're going to have this." spin on it and at the time it's a waste of, it's like a waste of time and at the time the casting of Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin was like a whoa moment it was yeah. like what a great cast but then they did that and that really rubbed people the wrong way <laughs> partially too because not everybody likes Scott Ritchie yeah. either so that that didn't help uh, but I think that and, and uh, DC does this with a lot of their animated films. They don't go completely on canon, right. but they stick to it more closely because Mask of the Phantasm, right? Because it's the it's an animated film that's based on based on a specific comic series. So in that regard, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, right? Because it's an animated film bringing a comic to life. Now they still take it; they take a few liberties right. here and there, but it's more well, canon. Like, well, it's like well, it's like when you have certain things like, like any other Marvel movies or DC or whoever has comic movies coming out. You take bits and pieces of certain comics, and that's what and you, you need to do. Combine them. I think that, and I, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but I think when it comes to canon, right, the most important part of the canon to me is the origin story. 
Origin's important, but also the tone in which you carry out the canon is also the kind of thing. Like, okay, if you're going to mix in all these different avenues, these different comic runs for one movie, get the tone right because you don't want to make it like, you know, and make sure you know how to write and center around certain things. Like, for example, Amazing Spider-Man 2 um, centered around Dennis Gwen Stacy, but it's like they spent way too much time because at the time we knew, okay, she's going to she's going to die. Right. She signed up. Not because, oh, well, it's Gwen Stacy, you know, but even if you weren't a Spider-Man fan, you would know that Emma Stone wasn't signed on for a third movie. So what's going to happen? It was like one thing, you know? I think they spent too much time building their relationship for the people that weren't familiar yeah. with the comic story. And I think that was a misstep. And I also think they did that for... Because I guess not everybody's going to look at that kind of stuff. I mean, this is the internet age, so the information's right there more than it ever was. Right. Maybe not everybody knew that she wasn't signed on for for another film. So I get that, but they spend too much time with that, and it was to the detriment of other parts of the movie. Now, I think that one of the things that... And I, I, seem, I seem to always circle back to Man of Steel for some reason. Yeah, because I think what they did was is they did the retelling of the origin story, but I think they did it in a very unique, cool kind of way, showing all these different jobs that he had. See now, now one of the you want to talk about we talk about canons and, and what makes something original. Like look at God of War, the game God of War, for yeah. example, one of the best games series of all time. However, story mode. Starts off awesome, but when you get to the end of God of War 3, you're like, what the hell just happened? So, quick run through. Kratos, pretty much, is, you know, consumed by the ashes of his dead and blood of his, of his dead child and wife. That's why he looks the way he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes on this whole thing to fight Hades and stuff like that. To, so he's kind of like on a revenge thing, which is good for the next couple of things. But we end up finding out that the reason why Kratos... And he had to open up Pandora's box in order to do it. So... Kratos finds out was when he opened up Pandora's box, it unleashed hope and fear. Zeus took up all the fear in the world. Kratos was so mad because he was so full of hope, he had to go and kill Zeus and kill himself to save the world or whatever. It's like, that makes no sense. Why do I got to be pissed off if he's so full of happiness? You know, I'm so full. Have you ever waked up like I'm so full of happiness? I'm gonna go kill the world. Da, 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 da. Oh, I'm so happy today. I'm gonna go stab. Somebody. Oh, let's see. It's like I that's like that. the Joker. I can I can hear that. Do do do. You know that morning that morning ambient music. Oh, what a beautiful day. Sun shining. The birds are I'm gonna go commit some murder now. Yeah, it's it doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? I mean, here's another thing that I wanted to discuss when we we're talking about this. Think of a character. It could be from superheroes, whatever, anything in right. nerd culture. Give me one character off the top of your head that you think, as far as canon goes, is the most important to make sure you stick to the canon as much as possible. Oh, God, Batman. I, I can't Batman. disagree. I can't disagree with that at all. Because you can't have happy-go-lucky Batman. No. you got to have that dark, brooding, tortured Batman. And yeah. you have to keep it so... You've get, there's so much canon. With the Batman character, and that he and him not killing unless it's absolutely positively necessary, kind of thing. I mean, I know I know that thing was is, is underdog because you mean you, imagine if he wasn't Shoeshine Boy. Imagine if he was like had a business suit and worked in a, in a, was a lawyer. That, that would be devastating. It would, it would be very devastating. What if what if Harvey Birdman worked at, at a toll booth instead? Or Taco Bell? He would just, just be horrible. Saying, well, Deadpool worked at Taco Bell. Yeah, well, that's he, why they fired him. He didn't make the profits just. 
just weren't the greatest. And well, I mean, plus, right in the toilet. Well, plus, he, I mean, he loves pancakes. So I mean, you know, he he. You know, he just, he would be better than I Jimmy Chunga! Yes. Movies! So, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I agree. And I think that there's no debate that Batman is that character yeah. that has to absolutely be done in canon. Now, let's flip it. Let's flip the script. Who's a character that you could see them going off script and doing something creative with? Off script and creative with? Huh. Daredevil. So you think in the net, maybe the Netflix series they could do something a little bit different? Yeah, I guess to see a way where like instead of him getting chemicals shot, you know, sprayed into his eyes or some sort of disease, maybe kind of bring thing. it into today's age, yeah. kind of thing, as opposed to doing it that way. I, I understand what you mean by realistic, though. Yeah, and I think like, that that's like, like nobody, nobody goes out and says I'm going to spray 409 in my eyes and go blind, and I'm going to be able to have my height, my senses heightened. You know, yeah, yeah. if it was more of like okay. It was like a degenerative eye disease he had, but to say it was because it spread to his body, so it might be degenerative, but mm. he took this medication or whatever and ended up amplifying his other senses or something right. like that, you know? I think for me, uh, one of the things that I thought about was the Flash. Really? With the new Flash that they're going to have on the CW, of course, they're going to have the younger Barry, Barry Allen. Allen. It's going to be a little different, I think, but I think that just based on what I've seen so far, it's gonna work. It's not really gonna be the. It's not gonna be Smallville, so don't worry about that. Yeah. Um. I just think that they're gonna do. They're gonna take a few liberties. I mean, they're they're sticking with a little bit of the canon, uh, with with the Barry Allen character and his origin. They did the origin very well. And again, I said that was one of the most important things when it comes to canon. But I think that they're gonna take a lot of liberties with the rest of the show, and they did that a little bit with Arrow as well. But I think especially with the Flash, they're really gonna try and do something. A little different, and I think the Flash is one of those characters that can you can do that with because right. there's a lot of different ways that you can go with it, and I think that I'm I'm kind of excited to see what they decide to do with that character. Right. Well, it's kind of like with you know going back to video games with Metal Gear Solid with Big Boss, you know, aka Snake, because there's so many different clones of him, so yeah. you can do different variations. I mean, when you saw the trailer for the Phantom Pain, you're like, holy Christ, yeah. this looks. You don't know what's going on. Um, I mean, you don't, I mean, any Metal Gear Solid um, trailer, you don't know what's going on. But it's just like, it, it, you can go, the ways and the directions are endless. And I think that what we shouldn't discount, because if there's, not, if there's no change, and I hate change. I just, in general, I don't like it. Um, I think as fans, then we need to be careful because without change, we don't get new stories. Right. So if we keep sticking to canon over and over and over again... Eventually, you're going to run out of stuff to, t- to, to write about. You're going to run out of scenarios if you stick to canon constantly. So I think that we have to be careful and open our minds a little bit more as fans to make sure we're getting new material. I mean, look at inter- like introducing new villains right. into any kind of superhero realm. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But you've got to try because, I mean, think about... Characters like Hush and Professor Pig in the uh, in the Batman universe, you know, you're getting cool, unique stories with these new characters right. that were not part of any canon at all. They were brought in at some point and have become now, canon now. Now, here, now here's something. Now, we, you know, we're talking about canon. Now, what makes something in your mind, James, like more like what when you see like a movie or a game or a comic, what what makes you go, wow, that's really original? Like it's an original idea and concept. I think that if you tell, I, th- I think that to make it original, you have to almost do it from the beginning. 
Right. You tell the you give me what the origin is if it's necessary. If it's right. if it's a reboot or something, you've got to retell the origin. But give me something original from the get go. And and I'm a big fan of the what if actually. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the okay. Well, what if this happened instead of this? Yeah. But do it from the beginning. You can't go back and forth. So if you're gonna give me something different from canon, stick with it. Don't go back and forth. Well, well, this is different, but we did this. We did this for you guys, that, kind of. And thing. that's why the Marvel What If series was going on from like eighty to like now or 90, 90 to whenever to now, um, because it, it presented that you know what if the X Men did die on their first mission? You know what would happen? What would the new X Men look like? You know, which are you know led by Beast. You know, and not like a Wolverine or a Cyclops. But but to me, it's like when one of the things I will criticize Man of Steel about. Is that when they killed off uh, Kevin Costner? Oh, Kevin Costner! Oh, I hated that scene so much. So, so they kill him off, right? Which is not necessarily in keeping with the canon, because even in the Man of Steel comics, I were I yeah. mentioned earlier, Pa Kent is still alive. Yeah. So it's almost like they kill Kevin Costner off. They kill off, kill off Pa Kent, but they're like, no, hold on a second, because we've still got Jor El here. So don't worry, we we still kept Jor El here for you guys. So you can, it's okay, we still did that. But yeah, Pa Kent is dead from the beginning. Well, I just so. said, but it was more the way that he did it. Like, no, I don't want you to be known as Superman yet or your powers, so let me die. It's like, no, man, well, come even, on. Even the way they did it I thought wasn't as bad as the fact that they, they killed him off when he was young Superman. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. I mean, you know, he dies eventually in, in, some, of the, in some of the comics, but you're going to do it now like this? It's like, why do that? Oh, but don't worry. But, We've but, still got but, this over and here. Not, and it wouldn't fuel... And, not, and, and, a, and a natural disaster. Not like, oh, he was killed off by somebody that fought Superman. To me, it was more lame that it was like a twisted ankle. Yeah. Than anything else. A twisted... Like, I... Pl- I'm like, I understand I'm so, you can't run away from a tornado with a twisted ankle. I get that. But, but it's still, it's I like, tore, really, well, that took him down? Well, I tore my ACL and I, and when I was a freshman playing college football years ago... And for a month, I was running and trying to get better with a torn ACL. Yeah, I fractured my ankle playing basketball in a game, and I finished the game. Yeah. Now, granted, I was out the next week, well, but I finished. It's because we're warriors. That's exactly. Why. But it, it, that just seemed a little lame to me. So, I mean, if you're going to do something that's not canon, give it to me from the beginning and stick with it. Don't try and pander to – and that's another thing I don't want you to do. Don't pander to me. As a comic book fan, give me a story. Yeah. Just give me a story because at the end of the day, whether you're complaining about these movies or not, or any other adaptations, video games included, if you're complaining about this stuff or not, we're all fans. We all want good stories. So maybe we just kind of focus on whether or not they're good stories and not necessarily harp on canon too much because, again, without... Newness without certain change, we're going to run out of stories to tell, and that's exactly what we don't want to. Have. No, and that's exactly it. And you know, um, you know, you talk about something original. I mean, there's tons of like, video, video games, especially. You know, there's a lot of original original ideas and stuff. And look at the Arkham games. Arkham games ori- were original. I mean, how cool was that? And how awesome are those? Because they took a risk. Yeah, they took a risk and did something original, and now it's taken the. Video game and nerd community by storm. Um, if you look, if you look at the Spider-Man game for Spider-Man sixty-four, um, no canon. I mean, Doc Ock at the end has Carnage symbiote on him. You know, yeah. and he's chasing you. It's the final boss battle. You're being chased by Carnage slash Doc Ock. 
And it's like, and they have all these you know, black cats in there and all these other things. And it was interesting, you know? And it was just, even, even, even though they're movie-based games, the Spider-Man games for PlayStation 2. Because the first one especially, yeah, dealt with Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin. And they had Willem Dafoe in there, which was great. And all the cutscenes were amazing. They were really amazing cutscenes. Um, but what happened? You end up fighting, like, Shocker. Yep. And guy, you know, and Vulture. And people who weren't in the right. movie. You know, right. it's... And that's the thing is you find the original ways of bringing that into the, into there. And I just think that it's kind of a, a double edged sword, and that people complain so much about origin and not having originality, but then they turn around and they also complain about and not having a personality, right? And not having it not being close enough to canon either. So it's almost like, okay, what do you want? Do you want originality, or do you want it to be based on a comic series? What Most of the time, like I'm not, I, I love, I read comics all the time. We both do, and. It's it, but there's times where I'm watching a movie, and or especially like a or, or playing a game, and it's like wow they're going off canon like which like, I or, think or, or, or like or like or, or like I don't even notice that they're going off canon because I'm just too enthralled I'm too into the movie and there's the thing right there Captain America Winter Soldier yeah there was canon in there yeah I mean I'm not saying there wasn't but, but a lot of it was not but you <laughs> point to the comic series that 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 movie was based they on. made Bullock the Leaper. Bartok the Leaper, amazing. Like, like actually, right. not, not a laughable opponent. Exactly. So you gave me the origin of the Winter Soldier, which they needed to do. You told the backstory. So you did that right. But then there was everything else. And, I, and I'm watching this movie, and of course I enjoyed it a lot. And I'm like, you point to a comic series and tell me where these storylines came from. Yeah. It was a good original story for the most part, you know, as far as originality is concerned. I thought the movie was great. And it wasn't necessarily canon. It worked, though. Yeah. It worked. And I think that that's what's lost in this. Now, there's times where they try and do something different, and it doesn't work, and that's going to happen. But I think even in those missteps, let's talk and Green Lantern, I think, is a good example. Yeah. Even in those missteps, we're getting these movies, and we're getting these shots in the dark sometimes. And you never know when that one Heath Ledger moment is going to happen for a movie as a whole yeah. where that something different is going to come along and it's going to blow your mind and all of a sudden it opens up this world of all different stories that we can tell now. Yeah. And it could go in reverse. Yeah. You get an original movie from one of these stories, say a Captain America, and then you turn around and you get a comic book based off of that. The Winter Soldier comic book came Tomb out. Tomb Raider comic book. Yeah, dude. the Winter Soldier comic book came out because of the popularity of the movie. The Tomb Raider comic book came out because of the popularity of the game. Sleepy Hollow, Boom Studios, yeah. is producing a Sleepy Hollow comic book based on the Fox series because of the popularity of that. Yeah. So it can work both ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be canon from source material that's in print to the screen. It can work both ways. Yeah. Don't reject that. Embrace it, my friends. And speaking of embrace, embrace us on social media, everybody. Uh, at Don Nerdy on Facebook. Um, Facebook.com slash Don Nerdy. Uh, tweet us at Twitter at downnerdy 757 I'm at Nick Pataglia25, James. I'm at James Ace Witham, and we have reached out on Twitter to some of the people involved with Batman versus Superman, so yep. we're trying to get answers we're, on that for you. We'll be very active on social media about that. That's how you can get in contact with us through social media. Now we're recording this on Matchup Monday. This Matchup Monday is pretty interesting, James. Yeah, you actually take 
one villain, one hero, and one villain from the same storyline, so like Batman, Joker, yeah, and put them against another villain and another hero from and so you could do DC versus DC, you could do DC versus Marvel, yep. whatever you want, but just team a hero up with one of their main villains. So think about those kind of tag team interactions that you could have. Yep. I just think it's a very cool concept to do. It's a very cool concept. So post up your your ideas. Um, also, the people who went to Philadelphia Wizard Con this past weekend. Heroes Con, Charlotte. Heroes Con as well. Um, awesome photos we've seen. and Cosplay know, Tuesday, post them up. Yep. And my cousin went to Philly Con, or Wizard Con in Philly. And so she's going she's gonna to post up some of her photos yep. from there as well. Yep. Um, the girls we know from Action Pack, Christopher Cho, uh, as well, went to Comic Con and Wizard Con in Philly, and amazing. You know, our buddies Drew Moss and Matt Slay went to Heroes Con. Yep. You know, a lot of great pictures. Awesome job, guys. Drew again, awesome job with Crow Pestilence, man. I can't wait to finish it. But that's gonna do it for this week's edition of Down and Nerdy. I'm Nick Pataglia. I'm James Witham, and we'll see you next week, everybody. And remember to always practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics. <laughs>